1: welcome back to another episode of the southern outdoors podcast everybody we got another uh, public land killer for you one today this one is from south carolina so we're kind of moving away from alabama as some people have wanted us to uh eric mcgee how are you doing man good man how y'all doing pretty good jacob how are you so uh well Actually, could just get out of the shower, but yeah,
0: I was uh about waist deep in a creek earlier this evening. So doing better now. Talking to Eric, so it's good to have you on, man. Uh, Thank you definitely you. had you definitely had some more success than we have this year. At least killing some big deer, but uh, <laughs> dude, I'll say this kind of start us off. Um, you were actually recommended to us by a couple listeners, and I cannot remember their names. It was on Instagram that uh. they mentioned uh, you would probably be a pretty good guy to get on or to have on to kind of talk about South Carolina just because your kind of personal experiences, not only did you kill a big deer this year, a really big deer, but you've been you know, really consistent and, uh, you know, pretty stand up guy from what they were saying. So, you know, we're glad to make this happen. Um, uh, but eric to kind of kick us off uh talking about this you know i talked to you i think it was yesterday just kind of see how everything would flow and um you know one thing i'd like to start us off with is dude how did you get into hunting public land uh, especially as a young as a young kid uh, we first got into it
2: it was my my dad and my uncles uh, we used to be a member of a dog club slash steel hunt you know this whole thing and uh Basically, I guess, I guess they just got kind of tired of the politics of it. and It was getting more frustrating than it was fun to, you know, go kill deer. And um, we left the club. I was, I think, 11 or 12. And, you know, you know, for like two or three years, we didn't have anywhere else to hunt but public land. So we just, you know, I would, I started shooting a bow when I was like 10 or 11. And then I just, when I was 12, 13, I was bow hunting. And I just, we just started bow hunting the seasons. You know, you have two weeks of bow season and you should go in like primitive weapon, muzzle loader, stuff like that. And so, I mean, that's really all we had for, you know, two or three years. And we just got to enjoy it. We still do it together today. We'll go on, we'll get, we'll put in for, you know, draw hunts on WMAs down near Georgia, you know, still in South Carolina, like in Jasper County. But, you know, we'll put in and all, all four of us will go for a week or a weekend and go hunt together public land.
0: Awesome yeah that's exciting especially you know it's always fun traveling. Um, yeah, you know one is. thing <laughs> yeah one thing I would like to for us to kind of jump into about like your style of public land hunting is which I think this would be kind of uh, you know perfect timing for this and we'll kind of kick it off with this and kind of run through uh, some of these topics. But the one I would like to cover with you just right now because it really played a part on you killing that big deer is how you do and how you use postseason scouting to your advantage during, you know, like you said, uh, small game hunting and uh, turkey hunting. So explain, if you don't mind for us, how you kind of got into doing that and how you use that to your advantage uh, to scout for, you know, the following season, this coming season.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's just kind of went back to you know, how I got into it. Like, you know, we we when I was growing up, we squirrel hunting public land a bunch. I mean, a lot and. You know, my dad and my uncles would kind of point out, like, you know, you walked through the woods, squirrel hunting, and like, look at this rub over here. He's like, you know, that's crazy. We have never been to this part. Let's go squirrel hunt over there and just see what kind of deer sign we see. And it's crazy what you can find. You know, that time of year. You know, because usually all the leaves are off the trees. Everything's kind of opened up. You can you can find a lot of sign. You know, and even turkey hunting, you can find a lot of sign. So I mean, it's just looking for thick cover. You know, stuff like that. And, uh, that's how I, you know, like I told you, I found a, where I shot the big book at this year. I, I found that spot turkey hunting one year, like two two years ago, three years ago,
0: yeah. So, let's talk about that a little bit. There. Let's talk about, again, what more are you looking for postseason? You know, are you looking for, I guess, a lot of deer sign? Are you looking for a lot of buck sign? Are you just looking for thick cover, <clears throat> food sources? Like, what's important for you in the offseason to find? I like looking for thick cover and food sources close
2: to the thick cover to me you know if a deer is bedded 30 40 yards from food that's really all the further they need to go so i mean they're not gonna you know go half a mile away
0: when they got food right there in the bedroom so well kind of going into it a little bit more explain the kind of situation on you know what was so special about the area you found um, that you actually were able to kill this big buck at, what was so special about that area, and what kind of drew you to it? Excuse me. Um, this
2: that particular area, that unit, is uh, it's real a bunch of sand hills, you know, big rolling hills, open pines, and you know, certain spots it's got you know, swamp, you know, creeks running through it, and and it's really really thick in those creek bottoms, and um. Uh, you know, I'm not talking, it's not like a, a creek, you gotta have a boat to get across, but it's just more like a swamp, like a branch or something, you know. And you don't find a lot of food sources up on the hills and, you know, on the pine, open pines and stuff, and that's where, if you look, when I walk around that place, that's where you see a lot of old stands, you know, signs of people, just, you know, hunting up on the hills where I can see a long way. And I would was turkey hunting that area and Start off i found a little bit of buck sign you know up top and then i found a, a little thick gum gum pond and it kind of you know that time of year it's still fairly open so i mean and i saw some open stuff back behind it and i just walked in there and it opened up into a, just this beautiful oak flat and i mean it's just it's down at the bottom of the hill it's secluded you know you probably can't your longest shot's maybe 70 yards you know you can't and you're just hunting trails and it was like three or four big white oak trees, and they're dropping acorns. You could see where they've been crushing them up and eating them in the previous season and stuff like that. And it was just, and it was just the way it was. Is in and out was good, you know. As as long as you hunted the, the right wind, you could get in and out without getting busted. So it's just the way that spot set up in this little pocket next to the swamp. It was just perfect. And I found some big rubs. that I just, you know, you don't know until you hunt or set up a camera or something was there. So, I mean, I knew the deer were there, just had to go hunt it.
1: Now, one thing I want to ask about is you keep mentioning how thick this creek bottom was. I'm curious to, to know what was down there in that creek bottom. Is it a lot of woody cover or is there other stuff like briars down in it?
2: Oh, briars and vines galore. Like <laughs> briars you, you can't crawl through hardly
1: yeah so so it's not it's not the kind of thick where you got like a million saplings everywhere it's more like viney type stuff
0: right yeah slick okay
1: and and that's where you killed this this big buck that we're talking about right that's right how did that hunt go down Ooh, um
2: it uh it almost didn't go down because uh we were i was had we had a big outage at work and i had been uh I'd missed like a two middle weeks of November, like didn't hunt at all. And that was pretty much driving me crazy. And um because I figured if I would get a shot at him, I would it would be in November in a rut. For us anyways, November usually. And uh I was able to get off work in time. It was on a Friday, so I left straight from work. I had to write. I'd already been checking the wind all day, so I had the right wind, and I made up my mind if I got off work on time, that's where I was going. And I went, and I don't know if the forestry commission or, you know, the the neighbors across the creek on private land were burning some trash, but it was it was so smoky. I don't know if y'all ever you know do control burning in Alabama on any kind of timberland, but mm-hmm. it is awful when that thing gets rolling, and that's kind of how it was that afternoon. That was kind of. It was messing with my head a little bit. I was like, man, these deer are going to be freaked out. You know, they ain't going to be moving. And I didn't really have time to go anywhere else. I said, well, yeah, I'm just I'm just going. And the wind's right, I know I might as well hunt. So I went and got in the stand, and I probably wasn't in there 30 minutes, and I heard chasing down in that creek. And you could hear grunting and stuff going on. I was like, okay, this might not be too bad. And um, sure enough, a little bit later, this little six point comes out bumping a little doe foam and uh he chases her around a while and she eventually slips off or he goes back into the, in the thicket and i hear just this just god-awful loud roar i was like whoa! i was like i don't <laughs> i don't think that was that six point you know <clears throat> and then i see another deer coming from my left and it's a you know a bigger doe and then the six point comes back out below her a little bit and uh He's he's you know kind of calmed down. He's eating on some acorns and stuff, and she's doing the same. And then I catch a glimpse of a deer behind her. And I said, "Well, that's got to be, you know, the bigger bucks." I mean, I already had to, you know already had the rifle up ready to go, and, and you know, I've had I had pictures of this deer, and I was kind of hoping in my mind, like, I hope I don't get a full view of him because if I do, it's gonna I'm gonna be a wreck, <laughs> you know. So. Anyway, he's, he starts walking towards his doe, and I hear he's behind some oak trees and stuff, and he grunts again real loud, and he starts running towards that six point, I guess just, you know, trying to get him off of that doe. I think he was locked down with that doe is what, I, what it was. And and um, I caught a glimpse of those two big forks on the G2s. I said, oh, boy. So he finally stopped, and he turned straight towards me, and I had a little window that I could, you know, squeeze one through. And he turned towards me and dropped his head. And I just, I put it right between his shoulder blades, and he dropped. I mean, it was, it was super fast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dang, uh, that sounds like a. I had a hunt actually pretty similar to that, but it didn't work out that good on Monday. <laughs> um, but they I, don't always. No, oh, it was it was so close. It was it was painfully close. But you know that's how it goes sometimes. Um, so kind of picking this stuff apart more i'm i'm real interested in the kind of area that you were hunting in um but which by the way tell people about that buck how big was that buck
2: uh green gross was 169 and three eights yeah it was uh um, he was exactly 20 inches inside spread so that's a
1: that's big pretty... deer
2: yeah he will uh, it still blows my mind when i
1: look at pictures of it yeah <laughs> man I, I don't doubt it i can't imagine killing a deer that big um this area that you're hunting, so we're. It sounds like we're talking about plantation pines uh, that are real open. Would you? This is kind of random, but would you happen to know if it's like a longleaf plantation or a loblolly plantation?
2: I'm pretty sure it's. It, I think it's longleaf. Okay. Pines it is what
1: it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like your longleaf pine. How open is it up in the pines? Is it just like a football field open, or is there kind of some brush up there?
2: I mean, there's some. And, and you know in spots it's uh it's it's very ugly like football field open like you can see for hundreds of yards like they have, it's so open in spots they have people that constantly rake pine straw i mean that's what they do oh wow <laughs> yeah I say i mean you might be hunting you might be huntin', a hunting us planning on hunting a spot or an area on that unit and then you go you go in there to go into the park and there's 15, 20 people in there raking pine straw on the way to your stand. "Well, that's well, that cancels that." So,
1: <laughs> dang, okay. But
2: uh, in some parts, yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's like some scrub oaks, gums, like blackjack oaks and stuff like that. And um,
1: so, do you? And f- that's what. That's, well. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: But that's what I. I mean, you'll see, <clears throat> you'll see a lot of sign in, in the open part, like especially you know if there's some blackjack oaks little pin oaks up top. Now you'll see a lot of sign. You'll see scrapes and little rubs and stuff like that. You can see where deer been walking and eating acorns. And but, and when I first started hunting that area, I mean, this was, you know, before I found the area where the big, big buck was, I like, would hunt those open areas where I saw the sign, but you never would see deer. And if you did, it was when you were climbing down and you got busted and you are just up there. And I just think they moved through that area super late you know, middle of the night, stuff like that. That's why I always try to look for a thicker cover where they are bedding.
1: Yeah. So th- these, like, thicker creek bottoms, do you find that they're just, like, traveling through these things instead of popping up into those pines and traveling through the pines? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Are they bedding in those creek bottoms too? Yeah. Yeah, I found beds in there. I mean, that's
2: really <clears throat> that's about the only place they have to bed.
1: Mm-hmm. That's interesting because that kind of, we interviewed a guy named Josh Driver a couple weeks ago and he talked about, he thinks about deer as kind of like positive and negative terrain, a negative terrain being the places that deer just don't typically be. And that mindset helps you narrow them down and and access and everything. It sounds like the pine thickets are like your negative terrain where, you know, you can access through them. There's not usually going to be deer in there. And then these creek bottoms are kind of your typical areas where you find them, right? That's right.
2: That's exactly right.
1: Is there any method to the madness as far as how they bed in there? Uh,
2: I don't, I don't think so. I, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer. Everybody's not going to agree, but you know, I, I think a deer travels and beds according to the wind and what you know, how it you know, whatever works best for them. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm sure they. That's exactly how they use them. Is you know, whatever works in their favor, that's how they're going to use it. Yeah. you know especially so that's the only place they have to you know stay hidden
1: yeah um still trying to just kind of pick apart the area before we kind of dive into the tactics a little more uh in these creek bottoms are, are you typically fine are you having good luck kind of on the edges of the thicket or are you trying to like dive into the thicket and kind of get in the middle of it
2: no i don't i don't try to dive deep in to start with no i just kind of I'll work the edges until I, I'm satisfied. You know, if I'm, you know, 100 yards from the thicket and I'm seeing pretty good deer, deer movement, and they're, you know, depending on what I'm doing, if I'm rifle hunting, bow hunting, very close enough, I mean, I'll kind of hang back, you know, because I don't want to, I really don't want to, bust right right in on top of them and blow them out of air. So yeah, I'll, I'll I'll work the edges and hang back at a hang to, you know, the edges of the thicket, hang back as far as I, as long as I need to. If was getting down, getting down to it and they're hanging, you know, they're just coming out right at last shooting light and there's still waiting in that thicket, I'll use up there closer. The next time I'm in there, to try to, try to catch them.
1: Yeah. Do you find that, uh, bucks and does kind of use different kinds of cover or do they use the same cover in different ways or is it kind of all the same? Uh,
2: I think bucks are different. I, I mean, just from what I've seen, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> those I don't think those does are as as uh edgy sometimes as those some of those bigger bucks are. Yeah. They'll uh those are typically the first ones out and they'll kinda there's usually more than one of them, so they'll kinda ease out there together looking around and they'll they'll come out in the open a little bit more a little earlier. I mean especially in that that area is on that unit is those those bigger bucks, they'll, uh, they'll take the, it'll take the different, you know, the not so beaten path. They'll, they'll use a side trail that's like 30 yards back from the main trail, you know, they'll, they'll try to slip around mm-hmm. and, uh, make sure everything's cool before they, before they come on out.
1: Yeah. Now uh, you, a minute, a minute ago you mentioned, you know, the deer using the wind to their advantage as much as they can. Um, how, so, uh jacob said that you were talking about the wind i mean the deer using certain trails based on the wind direction can you kind of talk about that and and how you uh, came to that conclusion
2: i mean i kind of figured that out whenever um when i was younger we finally were able to get a lease on some land and it was just a little 200 acre track i say little that's that's pretty substantial for some people and it works for us you know both my uncles my dad and i hunted on it and um I mean, this kind of touches on baiting a little bit, you know, because we'd set up rifle stands and permanent bow stands and have food plots and corn piles and stuff like that. And I started noticing that, you know, depending on the wind, deer would come out on, you know, different areas of the food plot. You know, I mean, they're going to try, I feel like they're going to try most of the time to have the wind in their face approaching where they're wanting to go hunting those those little food plots and stuff like that is kind of how we uh, kind of tipped me off on it. As a matter of fact, I, <clears throat> I wasn't able to kill this buck, but we had one standing on that same club. It seemed like every time you sat it, you know, the food plot was in front of you, so you needed like a northeast wind for the wind to be hitting you in the face. But every time you hunted on a northeast wind, there'd be a group of deer or a, a deer come behind you and there's not, you know, from the stand to the property lines, not a hundred yards in the distance. And they would slip around the back of that stand and bust you every single time. So they would, they already knew, they've already seen somebody climb down out of that stand probably several times. So they knew if they wanted to go there, that either on that wind, they needed to go that direction to make sure there was nobody there. I mean, that's just how I feel. And I was actually able, one time I had my lone wolf climber, I had just gotten it. And, uh, I set up right on the property line. Well, I was still on my property. I wasn't trespassing. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I set up right on that fire break, and sure enough, this nice eight point came cruising down that back line, and he was like just out of butt range for me. He was like 60 yards. I really didn't want to take that shot. But that's what he was doing. He was It was a good win for him. I just happened to be on the you know downwind side of him this time. He was, but he was checking that area before he went in there. But I called him like, you know, 15 minutes before legal time was up.
0: So I mean, it was kind of a it was kind of a success. But I mean, I didn't get to kill the deer. When we spoke yesterday, uh, you were talking a little bit more about uh, you know having some success, doing something similar like what you were just mentioning, um, and, and like you know killing does and stuff just by. You know, going a few hundred yards downwind of where, you know, a permanent stand is located oh, yeah. because those deer were swinging down below you, which is something, mm-hmm. you know, especially for anybody that hunts privately and especially clubs, man, you know, that's got to be a killer tactic, especially if you know shooting houses and stuff that guys are constantly shooting yeah. in and, you know, they're getting blown at and they're telling you about it, man, freaking swing downwind the of them and kill those deer. Yeah.
2: If you're a, uh, you know, a bow or rifle, if you, if you can be mobile and it, 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 it will change your world. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, it's like, it seemed like one year, I didn't hunt out of anything, but while well, I hunted out the Climber and I had some lock-ons, that's when uh, <clears throat> we had saved up a little bit of money and got fancy and started to get those little, those uh, long wolf hang-on stands. That was the, that was the ticket back then, you know, and um, like I told you the other day, like, I was, I was hanging stands at, like, in the middle of the end of December. I mean, season's about to go out you know, and you just got to you gotta figure out what are getting around you and how they're busing you. You just got to get one step ahead of them. It only takes one time to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to say, let's talk about this. You know, one because one of the topics I want to talk to you about was, you, you know, your thoughts on hunting like some of these clubs and leases, especially when there's more pressure in there and how you yeah. can have success when a lot of guys, especially in a state like South Carolina and Alabama as well now, along with Arkansas a bunch of other states, that you can hunt over bait. You know, guys have corn piles out and guys are also hunting over food plots and how you can stay mobile on those properties and hunt deer in areas that guys aren't hitting on and find where those, you know, the higher concentration of deer are, especially the ones that are busting other guys in their setups.
2: If you can figure out where a deer is bedding, just like before, if you can figure out where he's coming from on a certain wind, because there's a lot of guys that's not really going to put up the effort to do what we're talking about. They just... You know, if you don't come out to the corn or food plot, you know I'm not really that worried about it. Like right? some people say, you know, it'll happen if it's supposed to happen and stuff like that. I'm like, well, sometimes you just kind of got to make it happen. You know, try to be one step ahead of them and figure them out. And it's sometimes it seems impossible. And other times it's just kind of like slapping you in the face. I mean, it's those guys. You know, they'll start putting out corn in end of July, and then they only hunt like. Two or three stands all year, and wonder why they're getting busted all year. I mean, it's just the deer know you're going to be there. I mean, all you have to do is, you know, figure out where they're coming from and go to them. I mean, you cut them off, and this you know, it's it's easier on. I think sometimes it's easier than public land because you know what the food source is going to be. When deer coming to the corn pile, and a lot of guys on that private land aren't going to get off those corn piles. So you can kind of jump around in between corn piles, play the win right, and get them. I mean, it's just sometimes it's that simple, and sometimes it's not. I mean, <laughs> well,
0: I've got to ask. So you know, you're talking about like making it happen. You know, don't you know don't let it be just like oh, if it happens, it happens. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you know, something sometimes you got to make it happen. I think that's a really good point. And one thing I'd like to ask you is, you know, what's the biggest thing that kind of helps you make it happen? Instead of, you know, just hoping and wishing that deer are going to come to you, how do you go after the deer?
2: Uh, Scout, look, walk, find them. I mean, you can walk around during the season. A lot of people, like, don't want to go in there and mess up deer. I mean, there's, you can, you can go in there and kind of scout without boogering up the whole thing, you know. You know, if I, I mean, that same piece of property I was talking about with my uncles and my dad, if I hunted in the morning and I got busted or deer didn't come in, I used like a trail to go around me or I didn't see anything. If I saw deer, I'd go to where they came from. You know, where were the deer coming from? And I'll either set up a trail camera to see if they're consistent on that trail or in that area. Or if I'm hunting that same afternoon, I'll just throw something up or take the climber in there and hunt that area. Wherever I think they're going to come from. I mean, I do, I don't, Uh, I do use trail cameras, but, you know, I don't have you know, dozens of them to put out, you know. So, I mean, it's, I just base a lot of, a lot of it off, you know, bedding areas and looking for trails. I mean, where trails split together, you know, there's a lot of traffic, where they wire off and come together, and there's a lot of traffic coming through those areas. I mean, just hunting. I mean, you ain't always got to be on the corner to see deer, or on the, food plot,
0: you know. Yeah, Eric, so let's also let's hit on this because I know you have a you know anyone that's listening right now can kind of understand this from you just you know the few minutes we've been talking and have this conversation, but you're very much a, a boots on the ground kind of guy. You know, aerial scouting's cool and all, but really it's boots on the ground and looking for that hot sign. Now my question though for you is is what you know you're talking about trails and thickets and stuff but really what is like the highest on the list that you're trying to find while you're scouting because a lot of guys are like okay i go scouting but am i looking for bucks on am i looking for scrapes, rugs, am i looking for hot trails thickets food sources like you know Um, what is the highest on the list for you and how do you kind of like weed, you know weed through stuff that you might think is you know nocturnal movement and then maybe something that you can find during the daytime
2: yeah um I'm glad you said the aerial thing, cause I mean I I didn't touch on that before, but I, I I use Google Maps a lot. Like I'll if I think something's over there, that's the first thing I'm looking at, and when I look for that, I'll try to find edges like right? where pines meet a oak flat, or a thicket meets open pines, any kind of edge. Deer are gonna travel that edge. I feel like in my experience, they just they love to the travel edge, and usually. On those edges, you're going to find some thicker cover, bedding, and more than likely some food sources. And that's, and I kind of I told you this before. Like I, when I was younger, you know, a little fellow just started hunting. Like I loved being able to shoot. So I had these friends that had these, had these uh, clubs they were members of, and they would have all these fields and stuff. And I thought it was the coolest things if the deer walked out, you could shoot it, you know, and um. But as I'm getting older and i done it more, it's like those deer, and my dad told me this, he goes, the deer are in the woods before they're in the field. So I just, I think the biggest thing is bedding. That's pretty much what I always try to go to is when those deer, or when you're in their, when you're in their bedroom, I mean, you're there. I mean, that's, they don't have to come very far, you know? So, I mean, that's, I guess that's the, I mean, food's important, but you know, I think um best case scenario is you've got a food source close to the bedding area. You know, I mean, especially if you can see where they've been eating acorns or you know, vegetation, you know, you can see you can see where deer have been, you know, nipping off briars and stuff. But I mean that's
0: basically all it is for me. Now when it comes to you know, you're talking about bedding, this is a question that kinda of just came to my mind. When it your area like where you hunt I know you hunt a bunch of different public land, that's something that you told me <clears> yesterday, you know you know, you'd like to travel and kind of cover a bunch of different land, but Mm -hmm. um, is bedding, in your opinion, in the areas that you hunt, is it more limited or is there a lot of thick cover and it's just trying to find the right stuff that's holding those deer? Yeah, it's uh, like the,
2: you know, we were talking about before where I killed the big buck, I think it's limited. I mean, because, you know, basically all you have is like this huge open pine stands and these creek bottoms running through them, and you know, a little bit of swamp is all they have, unless, and you know, there's a cut down or cut over nearby. And nine times out of ten, that cut over is private. So it means a lot of times you can get, if you know the deer are bedding in the cut over, you can get on the public end of it, and you know, you might catch them. But a lot of it on that place is just open pines. I mean, usually when you look for on that on that particular unit, you basically find water. It's, almost, it's kind of crazy to think it, but it's kind of like turkey hunt. You know, birds, if they can, are, are going to roost over water, at least where, you know, where I'm at they are if they can. But where that water is is where the thick cover is usually. So, but now in other places in some of the other units I hunt, there's water everywhere and there's thick cover everywhere. So it's kind of just finding the freshest sign, freshest beds, figuring out what it is they want, you know. And so i guess there's i bet there's four or five different units within the hour or so of me and all of them are different so it just depends on where you're at is the, what the water sometimes it's easy to find bed in, and other times it's not so easy
0: that's a good
1: point what? well oh, real quick jacob i wanted to ask uh Eric, how far do you typically try to push towards bedding? Like, is there, a, is there like a distance that you try to to always stop at? Or, or when do you know when to stop when you're kind of pushing up close to that thick cover looking for them? Um, <clears throat> I guess, I mean, really, I guess it kind of, I
2: base it off getting in and out, you know. I don't want to get in there so far and get deer on top of me that I can't get back out without, you know, boogering it up. Um, you <clears throat> know, when I first, where I shot the big buck at, I mean, and some other bucks in that area, I was, I started off two, 300 yards from the thick cover until, you know, I, I saw that they were, you know, those deer aren't coming out that thicket very far and they're already on, on those acorns. So they're not coming <clears throat> 50 yards out of where they're bedding or traveling through. And they're eating acorns. They're not coming up on the hill anymore. So you know, the next day or next time I hunted I I moved closer, I got like a hundred yards to it from it. But that's all to me it's all based on being able to get in and out safe. And you know, you know, sometimes you kinda of push the envelope, you know, if it's you know, if you're hunting in one place and all you have is like a weekend or a day. I mean
0: I mean get right on top of them. What's it gonna hurry? You really ain't got nothing to lose if you're not gonna be able to go back. And Eric, that brings up a point that you made to me yesterday, uh, which I I was asking you and I'd like to ask you now, you know, how much of a, you know, how much of a deal is getting in and out clean for you in these areas that you hunt, especially where bedding's kind of limited? It's a big deal. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, uh,
2: to me, it's a big deal. I mean, like I I told you the other day, that, that where I shot the deer at, I was, I went in there I think what season both seasons starts there the fifteenth of September, or something like that um I went in there at the end of August beginning of September, hung the stand, and i had I took a rake in there with me and like the last hundred yards to the to the stand base of the tree. I raked me a little path, you know I And mean, I had plenty of time to settle down. I wasn't too worried about making noise, you know I mean it's not like I'm in there banging metal sticks together. I'm just you know raking, it's um. I mean that's that could that could make it or break it. Sometimes you know, deer can hear, especially like on a on, on a calm morning. Or, you know, y'all y'all know when it gets dark, man. Sometimes I mean you could hear everything, you know. So they they'll key in on that stuff. If you can
0: get in and out silent, it's it's a it's a deal maker or breaker. And that brings up a point. So you know, I've always heard, and I think a lot of people listening right now, they've always probably heard people on either on other podcasts or other shows and magazines talk about raking out a trail to their spots. Okay. <clears throat> a question that's kind of came up to my mind when I hear someone doing that, how long in your, for how, really how long does that path stay clear before you have to come back and either re-rake it or just deal with it? Mm. <clears throat> it
2: doesn't stay <laughs> clean or bare dirt very long. You know, once those leaves start to fall, it's, um, it's pretty much over with, but you can get like I'll, I was kind of a little more anal about that spot, if you will. Like that, because I knew that butt was in there, and I, you know, I, I can't even you know, deer that coward. He's not going to put up with much pressure, he's going to be gone, you know. And um, I would, I rarely hunted that place in the morning, and if I did. It was like, you know, it had just stopped raining that morning or rained that night. The leaves were kind of, you know, the leaves were wet and you can get in there quiet. In the afternoons, you know, you usually had a good stiff breeze, kind of cover your tracks and just go slow, uh, like painfully slow, getting in and out, you know, going up the ladder just like one step at a time, listen, make sure nothing's looking at you, you know, you know, just So, I mean, it's, it's, and it's, and it is, that's the most aggravating, stressful part for me is getting out of a standing even. I can't stand it because I'm just waiting on on that deer to blow. And, um, but I that's what I I mean. I just go slow. Like, you know, once this, you know, legal's up, if I don't, if I don't hear any deer around me, I'm going to start getting my stuff together and getting down, but I'm moving slow. And if I do hear deer around me, I'm not moving. Like, I'm just going to sit there. I mean, obviously, obviously, after legal, I can't shoot. I mean, nine times out of ten, legal here, you can't hardly see anyway to shoot. You know, it's... Um, but if I have deer around me, I'm not I'm not getting
0: down. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing is, you know, in some of these areas that you hunt, you know, through all the different units that you hunt, and not just the one where you kill the big deer, you know, what are you looking for when it comes to a spot? Like, what is you know you, you, know, you talked about doing some aerial scouting using google maps and um you know all that kind of stuff but you know do you are you a guy that you want to go super deep are you a guy that you're trying to find overlook stuff close to the roads like what are you looking for or does it change or are you like very adaptive depending on what hunting pressure is like out there yeah that's that's pretty much what drives it is hunting pressure is um
2: <clears throat> i mean there's been there's been spots 50 yards off the road that i found a ton of sign and and seen deer you know but it might be just this little pocket that nobody's hunting or a little three acre spot that's public and nobody's going into because they don't you know they don't know it's public or they don't want to chance it or what you know but but on the when i shot the buck i mean i was i was in there a ways i'd say probably right out a mile or over a mile i mean it, it was it was a hike and then like I said before, I mean, it's just – it's all on pressure because, I mean, I don't think a lot of guys are going to go – everybody wants to go deep, but you don't have to because, I mean, it's all based on pressure. But there's not going to be a lot of guys that want to go that far back up in there because I don't know how y'all's game management is, but, you know, we can't have ATVs. It's foot travel only. So if you shoot something, you got to drag it out or have a cart. and I don't know too many guys that really want to do that. I mean, they will, but a mile, that's that's,
0: that's a total. Especially if you kill one. Yeah, you're right about that. That's that's again, if it's legal for any listener out there, if it's legal and you can pack gear out, it's worth getting a backpack you can pack it out with. But yeah, that, I've never, I've never, I've never tried that. I don't know you know, how how do you stay mobile in public land for the most part? Ah, uh,
2: I've been, I've been stuck with lock-ons. So I mean, I'll just, or a climber. I mean, I have a, you know, it's like a summit cable climber, a viper that's one of my favorite ones, but it's, you know, it's a little heavy, and um, <clears throat> I got that uh the long wolf hand climber, I mean, that thing's, for me, it's, I mean, it's fairly light, you know, but that thing is some kind of uncomfortable to sit there for <laughs> two or three hours on end, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, there's been times, like, I've been sitting there, like, I don't, I don't know if a deer walked by, I could, you know, stand up and shoot, because I can't feel my legs right now, it's everything goes numb but i've been looking into the saddles i'm, I'm really interested in trying some it's, uh it, it's it, 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 i think it would be an adjustment but in you know, all the youtube stuff i watch and um you guys watch the hunting public you know oh yeah 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 those guys kind of got me hooked on that saddle stuff that's the first place i saw it um it looks like it'd be pretty awesome like it just uh versatility like it just something about just and like you said i'm boots on the ground kind of guy like i can just walk scout and hunt just all in the same like if i see some fresh stuff i ain't got to worry about toting around and standing on my back for an hour you know it seems kind of cool Um, that's what i really want to try this year
1: yeah that's the same thing that kind of drove me to get one is just that idea of kind of scouting on your feet and and right. not having to worry about a stand really for me the main thing was go, go like walking through brush because i started hunting thicker areas and oh walking, man, oh gosh walking through I, brush with that
2: yeah i've that that uh summit viper i mean i'm not taking anything away from it it's a great climber but i mean i've there's been times i want to just body slam that thing and just leave it in the woods because <laughs> you know, it, it those cables will hang up on everything and body slam you, if you got it on your back
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a bunch of times where the, right at the t- t- uh, towards the end where I was using my lock-on, I just left the lock-on in the tree. I was like, whatever, I'll just hunt the spot again tomorrow because I don't want to fool with this yeah. thing. And so then I'd be, like, st- stuck with that spot because I left my dang stand there. But uh yeah. one thing that we talked about earlier, kind of switching gears, uh that I, w- I wanted to ask about but I forgot to, is in this post-season scouting um that you're doing what is there a specific kind of sign that you look for postseason and what what is it that when you see it and like let's say you're scouting in february you see the sign and you're like okay i definitely think i could kill something here in november and then what are your steps from there to like do you prepare the spot or anything like that um just that process Uh, yeah like i don't know if uh
2: i don't know sometimes it's just you know I, I I try to key in on, on like um, white oaks, white oak acorns. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me, one unit has got more persimmon trees than I've ever seen in my life in one area. So, I mean, and deer like persimmons. I mean, that's all there is to it. And then there's, you know, you can see all these trails, you know, coming and going and stuff like that. So I look for heavy trails coming together like we trails across you know, intersect close to cover, food, and I'll, you know, I'll mark it, I'll mark it on my phone, like, just drop a pin, you know, and come back. And usually, if I have time, I'll, I'll throw out a camera, you know, and leave it for like a, I'll leave it for two months sometimes and not even go back and check it and um, just see what's on there, you know. And that's uh, a that's really what I like to do because, you know, not – In and out as much, just set up a camera and leave it. If you find a hot spot, find some food. If you find a good trail, find a good bed and area, just see what's in there. Put up a camera.
1: Jacob, do you have anything on that?
0: Really more so
1: what I have on is,
0: like, this is something I want to do more this year. Uh, Where I went this afternoon, which, you know, we'll talk about in the outro, uh, definitely has a lot about what you're talking about. It's it's an area that has – there's pretty much like three different thickets that come together. Uh, it's a pretty it's, it's one of the thickest, nastiest creek drain creeks I've seen on this property that uh that I hunt. It's a piece of public and uh a bunch of white oaks and red oaks kinda of come together right there, uh which is kinda you know, not odd, but there's a lot of places where you don't find a lot of a lot of white oaks out here. And just oh, really? the buck the buck signs from the rut, which are rut right here on, on this area is normally that. that Second, the third week of December, really second week of December, it's pretty much on fire, and uh, there's a ton of you know rubs and scrapes in this one area, which is definitely like a little hub, uh, as uh, as uh, one of our guests, Josh Driver would say, it's like a, a social hub That's where right. it's linking a bunch of different areas together, and it, is, it looks ridiculous. The problem is, I'm there a couple, I'm there about a month and a half late uh, to that spot. Uh, I really didn't see really anything in that area, but it's one of those areas that it made me, you know, I've never been to this area before. I just threw a, really just looked at the map. I was like, okay, I've never been here before. I want to check this out. And, uh, after being in there, I'm like, dude, I want to spend some time there just because it's in an area that I think <laughs> a ton of people drive by, uh, absolutely ton of people drive by it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's got everything, everything you could want. You know, super thick creek drainage, but they're not necessarily in the creek bedding. They're more so up on the ridges around it. But it's just there's so much freaking great cover in those areas. And that's something I want to, again, focus more on this off season is postseason scouting. Because I'm, I'm sure, you know, since you've been doing it for so long, you know, you realize, you know, that's one of the best times to get out there just because, you know, the deer, a lot of times they're in where they're going to be later in the season. Um, that's right. So, you know, especially when it comes to finding a late season pattern, uh, in areas that maybe your rut is in November, but your season goes to January, you know, getting out in February and finding where all that sign is, uh, a lot of times you can, you know, not only find an area that, uh, you know, you can get off some deer earlier in the season, but definitely late in the season as well. Um, so that's killer. Now, what are some of the major food sources that you focus on? I know you were talking about white oaks, um, which is, you know, definitely I think key across the southeast. Uh, you know, white oak, oaks, red all that. But is there anything else that you you notice the deer are really feeding on uh, in the units that you hunt?
2: There's, I think there's so much natural browse out there for them. I think that's a, a lot of times, and I think in early season bedding is a, a bug doesn't have to go far. Like they'll they'll feed right into bed. Sometimes I think they'll just, they'll just you know, briars, like I can't tell you how many times I've walked through a, a briar thicket and just, you know, you come across a spot like everything goes from the waist high to knee high where they browse all those green briars down. You know, it's just um, our early season, I think, if you can find something green like that, it's definitely helpful. I mean, because the early season, you know, acorns aren't dropping yet, obviously. It's, uh, it's you know, you sometimes you'll find a little... You know, you'll walk through a little open area, and um, you'll see like some volunteer clover popping up. You know, and so uh, and persimmons, persimmons are good.
0: I like I like to hunt over those. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I got to ask is there is there anything else that really um, you know that you do that kind of helps you be successful, uh, especially on public land, but also maybe on super private when it comes to just going out there and getting on deer i mean would you pretty much chalk it up to just you know the scouting you put into it is there anything else that you do you know w- watching the wind and everything else that really helps you be successful at least getting in and out cleanly
2: yeah, scouting definitely and then when like i always try to you know best i can i mean i try to hunt in the wind like i don't want everyone to if you don't, you know, some people disagree and they just hunt and they kill deer. and they're just, they're just lucky. I mean, that's all I can tell them. But, I mean, I try to watch the wind best I can. You know, sometimes you it switches on you and there's nothing you can do to, about that. It just happens. But if I got a choice, I'm going – and if I if I got a certain spot I want to go and the wind's kind of iffy, if I think it's going to switch, I just won't go. Or I'll go somewhere else that the wind is good for. And um, But, you know, you got to think – you know, obviously getting in, hunting, but getting out, too, I mean, it's just, it's going to switch on you halfway through your hunt, it's going to screw you up, the last half, and getting out, I mean, there's really no sense in going, I don't think, I mean, you might, like I say, you might get lucky, but I just think scouting and hunting to win, I mean, I do, like, I I personally <clears throat> believe in, like, scent control, you know, I you know I, I, you know, I take the shower if I can, the scent-free shower, and I bought, you know, I broke down and got one to scent crush bags. And, I, you know, I think that helps. But, I mean, those guys I know to hunt to win, they just go and work clothes.
0: <laughs> they kill deer, you know. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> one thing that, another thing that you, what I was saying, Drew, there's one other thing that I got to hit on but it's on the top of my mind. Um, now I'll let you jump in. You were talking about hunting, like, just after a storm front pushes through, like hunting mornings and stuff. Is that something you also try to do? Is hunt around storm fronts, either before and after a storm front? Absolutely,
2: yeah, definitely. I watch the. uh, I don't know how true it is, or you know, I think it helps. But barometric pressure, you know, high pressures is. uh, I definitely try to watch that, you know, especially you know after a storm front or before one. I just think deer move better on on higher pressure, but.
1: Uh, Eric my last question for you um, before I, I, we kind of wrap this thing up um, is in, like the other guys you see hunting public land or hunting private land what are like the top like one or two mistakes that you see them doing that, that you think is keeping a lot of those guys from having consistent success not playing
2: the wind ranks right up here and maybe not going in As deep not being like being too conservative, not being aggressive when you need to be. Sometimes you just gotta, you know, get in there. If I only got that's like I was telling you earlier, whenever excuse me, you know, on that draw hunt that we do with my dad and my uncles, I only got really two and a half hunts. Really, I mean if you break it down two and a half hunts to scout and kill a deer. So, I mean, you know, you you got a half a day to scout initially, then you can hunt that first afternoon, then you got Saturday, and you got Friday and Saturday, so you know, it's not not much, so, I mean, what's it going to hurt just to get, be aggressive and get in there, you know? Go for broke, I mean, you never know. I mean, just find the best sign you can find and get as close to them as you think you can, safely. You know, the way I look at it, you know, sometimes you just Sometimes it pays to be aggressive and sometimes it pays to hang back and look if you got time. If you got if you got a week or you got all season if you hunt a place that's local, you got all season to figure those
0: deer out. Hang back and see what they're doing.
1: Jacob, you got anything else?
0: No, I was gonna say, Eric, I think that was that was great. Um, again, you know, kinda of using some of those observation sets in areas that you can, that uh, <laughs> could be key for a lot of guys, especially that are hunting a little more open areas. Um, but Eric, man, we appreciate you coming on, dude. Um, oh, thank you for that, man. well, I'll say also, I know you're a big public land, Turkey hunter. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and anyone that listens to our show from the last year and a half or so knows that we, we do, uh, a pretty big production for Turkey season when it comes to the podcast. So we'll definitely gonna have to have you back on for the strut report, uh, representing South Carolina, dude, because, uh, yeah, man, Instagram. there's a lot of dead birds on your Instagram. Page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's um that's one that's one of my favorites uh is
2: public land turkey hunting man it's uh it can be very aggravating it can be especially with people i feel like way more people public land turkey hunting they do deer hunt around here they do anyway you know everybody's got a place to deer hunt but you know you might get some properties that you you can deer hunt but you can't turkey hunt you know as a matter of fact there's one place we're a member of and they you can deer hunt all you want to but you can't kill any birds there and there's tons of birds over there so but um i don't know that's that's a lot of fun to me it's in uh it's uh it's fun it's fun sometimes to hear those guys talk about you know and you got getting schooled by a bird and then you you pull up with one on the back of the truck it's that's good stuff but but it's it works both ways it's happened to me plenty of times too sometimes they'll fall in your lap sometimes they'll make you
1: look stupid all right, everyone. That'll wrap that one up. Uh, make sure you stick around to the end because we're going to talk about the event we've been planning. Um, but uh, before we do that, Jacob, what do you think about that episode?
0: It was fun. It, it was cool, kind of seeing you know Eric's perspective on how he hunts and really using you know a lot of scaling to his advantage. Which you know uh, I think that's a really timely topic uh, as seasons going out in a lot of states or is coming to a close in in most states by now uh you know it's a good time to get out there especially if squirrel season still in Get out there with a 22 or a shotgun and you know not only squirrel hunt but go freaking look for some deer sign man so you know i found a place like that today which we'll kind of go over in a little bit um, but yeah no, I, I really enjoyed it plus dude hearing how he found that buck uh found that really big deer uh ran some cameras in there found that buck and he came and actually killed him dude is just awesome so mm-hmm. that, that's super exciting so what about you
1: yeah, I found it interesting, too. One thing I said to him after we quit recording is uh, how it's interesting that basically since July, all these different guys we've interviewed, which there's probably been, what, 20 now or more, mm-hmm. maybe? Um, all these guys who are killing big bucks, I can't think of a single one of them that, like, isn't hunting good cover. I mean, they're all, like, quote-unquote, staying away from the pretty woods, Um and kind of getting into that more thick stuff. And that that's a great example, uh, Eric is, of, of doing that because a lot of guys are wanting to hunt those pines where you can see way far down into them, where he's going down in the creek bottoms where you can't see anything. And it, it might be, I don't know, like visually like an unpleasant hunt if that's not what you're used to. But I don't know. I don't know about other people, but when I get in like a real thick area like that and there's like vines everywhere, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is it. It's like beautiful to me. Um, oh, yeah. I relate to the post-season scouting, too, cause, which one day we got to get him back on here. But, like, I always talk about my mentor, Ben George. he That's that's how he kills a lot of big deer is he just goes squirrel hunting. And he'll do it right smack in the middle of deer season. I mean, it'll be, like, late November, and right when the rut's getting started where he hunts a lot. And he'll, like, go out squirrel hunting, and he'll just squirrel hunt for, like, a couple days and find some sign and go back in there, like, the next day and kill a nice buck, you know. So that's something I grew up with, so I was real familiar with that. Um, And then, um, I don't know. I I like hearing about his access and his philosophy on that, because honestly, that's something that I think that I've been like really screwing up last couple years. It's just like loudness, because I got to a point where I was like, no, it doesn't really matter. Like they might hear it, they don't really know what it is, and I would just like go crashing in or something. But this year, I've been really taking my time to access and like like I've talked about before gone through that thought process like, oh, I don't have to get in a tree today. Like, it's okay, just scout, don't get in a hurry. And ever since I started doing that, I've had a lot better success. So sometimes it's the simple things, dude.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, but I think when you slow down and kind of take your time with a lot of things, as long as you overanalyze it, you know, you can make some pretty good decisions, especially if you can find that fresh sign. That's, a, that's the biggest key. Um, well, yeah, man, so that, that mm-hmm. was awesome.
1: So, what else we got? We got got some hunts, which y'all bear with me. My my voice is leaving me. I'm getting sick after, I think yesterday I wore myself down too much. Um, We got a couple hunts to go over, and I guess we'll just go in chronological order. So, we recorded the one with Wes on Sunday, and then I went out Monday morning to go hunt. Me and Mark did. Back on a parcel that, after this hunt, we decided we're just going to start calling it Little Iowa. So we go out there to Little Iowa, and um, we get we go to the spot where Mark had his camera, and we had me and you pulled that camera down. We had that like big mature six pointer on there, and uh, we go to that spot and we start getting set up before daylight. And I'm like, man, we got we I climb up this tree and I get up there. And the way that the hill rolls, this trail is coming right at us and it's at like eye level. I'm like, I don't think I can make it happen right here. I mean, I can shoot them straight on if I want to with my arrow set up and be just fine, but I don't like I don't think I could get drawn uh, without getting busted. So we're like, crap, well let's move. So it's starting to kinda of get gray light, and so we like scurry up the hill and we basically cross this little drainage. Like, you know where that camera was? We basically mm-hmm. just kept walking past the camera, like up on the next hill. We get up there, and uh, we've talked about it a little bit before. At this point, I'm really just looking for tracks. I mean, the rut is like rocking and rolling, and really all I need to see is like fresh tracks, like tracks that were just made. So we find some tracks on this one trail, and so we're like, whatever, let's just get up right here, and uh, we'll see what it looks like. And then if it wasn't looking good, we would just get down and move again. But So we start getting up, and it starts getting daylight as I'm hanging the sticks and everything. And I'm looking around, and there's rubs everywhere. There's two fresh scrapes right beneath us. And uh, we get up, and we're kind of, we are kind—we don't really know about the spot. Because, again, it was like a total audible. We, it was blind before daylight, so we didn't know what it was really like when we set up, which I hate doing. And uh, me and Mark are talking. I'm in the saddle. He's in a lock-on, and we're facing each other. So I'm looking behind him, and he's looking behind me, kind of covering everything. We were talking about, like, elk elk. Like if elk were ever brought back to Alabama or something like that, something totally random. And I look over his shoulder and I just see like rack and like body like slipping through like classic cruising big buck. And uh, I'm in the middle of a sentence and I go, good buck, good buck, good buck. And so Mark turns around and sees this thing. And this this is where my inexperienced calling kind of bit me, I think. So there's like a a fire break right here, and there's some longleafs on one side of the fire break, and then there's some hardwoods on the side that we're in. We're hanging in the hardwoods, and the fire break is like 22 yards. And this buck is just on the inside of the longleafs, which are pretty thick, and uh, he hits that fire break, and Mark's like, grunt at him, grunt at him. So me, being in like turkey mode, because whenever I'm calling, I'm thinking about turkeys and turkey hunting... um, I grab the grunt call, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to pitch this call behind me because there's another logging road that runs into the fire break right there, and there's a trail running down that road, and that trail's got tracks on it and scrapes, and it runs like seven yards from us, and I'm like, the way that this buck is, if I turn and grunt back towards that trail, he might come down that and give me like a seven-yard shot, so this buck is like just cruising, and I grab the grunt call, and I grunt really loud at him, and he just instantly stops and whips his head around, and he's looking and starts coming. And so Mark's like, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. And at first, it looked like he was going to head straight down that trail I wanted him to come down. But then he uh, starts walking down this, like, ravine that's right there. It's, like, real thick, like, hardwood draw coming up. And the bottom of that draw is maybe 40 yards from us. And what I had done is I had turned... And I basically grunted straight down into that draw, you know, thinking that he would come down the road, but instead he went straight down the draw. And, I mean, I I really do think that that grunt turned him, and I think he was looking for a deer down there because, I mean, he completely – he did a 90-degree turn from where he was going and came straight down in there. He was looking around. He was peeking everywhere. And uh, I grunted a bunch more times, snort wheezed. He just – he would not come back. The closest he got was, like, right at 40 yards. And I mean, it was just way too thick to even think about shooting. Um, he walked out of our lives. He's like a big, wide, uh, to like just clean eight point. Um, but he had, I think, his G three was busted off on one side, so I guess he's a seven. But he moves off, and I'm like heartbroken because I'm like, how can he get so close? In hindsight, if I had just grunted straight at him, he probably would have came down the fire break and I could have shot him at twenty yards. But you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um. And then maybe an hour goes by, and uh, Mark hears some deer running through the longleaf. He's like, get ready, here they come, here they come. Because I didn't hear him at all. I look up, and here comes just like a whole mob of deer running through the woods, dude. I mean, there's like, there's three does getting chased by four spikes. Or no, it was, no, it was, yeah, it was four spikes and a half-rack buck. And I mean... Out of nowhere, they're just like they sound like a freight train coming through the woods and you can't see them and then they get right up to us and there's just deer everywhere, dude. There's just deer running like through these gaps, all these all these little bucks like grunting like meh meh you know, they don't really sound like a deep grunt yet, they sound like a like a quack. And they're like running around grunting and snorting and blowing and doing all kinds of stuff, breaking sticks, running into each other. I mean, dude, it was crazy. Two it seems like one of the does was in heat and the other two weren't because the other two eventually kind of slipped out the backside. And uh, so these, these does are running around acting crazy. And uh, let's see, I'm trying to think They they basically they ran down the hill and back up the hill and got within like 30 yards of us, like three times, maybe four times. And this whole time there's just spikes everywhere. And we're like, dude, there's got to be a bigger buck in here somewhere. So there's this little half rack buck, which this was like, this is the second time I'd seen that buck. And then it ended up, Michael saw him twice and then I just uh, got him on trail camera again. So we keep seeing this buck over and over again. It's like a spike on one side and he's like a fork on the other. He's like barely a fork on one side. That buck is standing there. Eventually the does kind of move off in the longleaf and for some reason they would not cross fire break. but they were coming close enough to the fire break that I could shoot one of them if I wanted to. They were like right there at the edge of it, and it was thirty yards, and I'll shoot thirty yards. So the does eventually move off, and then little little half rack buck stands there, and he's just standing there for so long that we kind of quit paying attention to him. Uh, we start talking again, and we, we're like checking up on him every once in a while, and uh, he like he keeps looking back in the brush. So I'm paying attention to him, like what is he looking at? And then I see movement back there, and, like, instantly, as soon as I see, like, the body of the deer, I'm like, oh, that's a big buck. Uh, Because this, I mean, this, like, maybe, like, two-and-a-half-year-old kind of, like, forky buck, kind of scrawny-looking thing is standing probably at, like, 34, 35 yards at this point. And uh, this buck was maybe 20 yards further back in the cover, and he was, like, noticeably bigger than the one that was closer to us. So we're like, holy crap, that's a good deer. He, like, swings his head around, and I see, like, like a, a good-sized rack. I see, like, a lot of mass. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good buck. And uh, eventually, they kind of square up at each other, and we notice it's the six-point that me and you uh, got on camera that day when we pulled Mark's camera out. He's standing back there, and he's, like, staring this little half-rack down, and the half-rack doesn't really know what to do, and they're, like, stomping at each other. And then this big buck char- straight-up charges the little half rack buck, I mean like sprints at him and the half rack runs right to us or he runs almost right to us. I'm like, this is about to happen. And then, uh, the half rack stops and the big buck stops and they stand there and like stare at each other for a minute. And then the big buck instantly turns around and starts walking away again. I get out the grunt call and grunt and he whips around and runs at the spike or at the half rack again. So I guess he might've thought it was him that grunted or something And basically the closest he got was like maybe 35 yards, uh, but he was back in that cover. Um, And after that second time, he looked back behind him and then just took off and ran back there. So what I think happened is that Hot Doe was back there and the big buck was kind of like, you know, trying to keep other bucks off her. And while he was focused on that half rack, one of those spikes got on her and he turned around and sprinted back there to get him. But yeah, had two mature shooter bucks within 40 yards, Didn't make it happen. If I had a rifle, I could have pretty easily killed both of them. So, yeah, that was uh, that was my hunt for Monday. It was pretty. It was kind of depressing.
0: Yeah. Well, get on them. At least he did. Well, I mean, I don't know. Within like three days, I shoot a mature deer, freaking just high as crap, and then you freaking. You know, get opportunities at them. So <laughs> that, that's pretty cool. Uh, well, I, I didn't hunt really at all this week, other than just this afternoon, which wasn't much to write home about, other than finding a, a deadhead, which really wasn't. It was the freaking whole dead deer um, that looked like someone shot it with a uh, with a bow right through the shoulder. And uh, that was it. Just found a really cool spot that definitely need to go back in and scout for postseason uh, for both this coming early season and also you know that pre-rut time i think it'd be fantastic yeah so that'll be exciting um so that's cool so you know had some you were all over some deer and then gun hunt really didn't you know benefit you all that much it doesn't seem like so yeah it
1: it was it was i mean it was a good hunt the first day we just saw three does and (laughs) then the second day yeah it wasn't it wasn't very good uh I got out there, and uh, we'd left our stuff in the tree where we'd seen the three does because we thought it'd be a better morning spot anyway. So we're like, we'll just hunt the same tree. So we go in there, and uh, Mark gets to the gate before me, and I drive because I'm driving from Auburn, and he camped out there. So he was already there, and I'm getting out there. I'm on the road, and there's a mud hole on the road that I've driven through a bunch of times in my truck, and it's been fine. Well, evidently, someone had maybe spun out in it or something the day before. I go down into that thing, and I just, like, stop. I framed out in it bad. Like, my back tire wasn't touching at all, my right back tire. Like, I took my foot off the the brakes, and it would just, like, spin on its own. So, I call Mark. I'm like, hey, bud, I need help. He comes over there, and we don't have a chain, of course. And so, we got, like ratchet straps and i've done this before and it worked but I was in a smaller truck too at the time and uh we got some like ratchet straps and wrapped them all up together and like kind of like braided them in a way and tried to pull pull me out with that that didn't work had two guys drive in on us i felt like a jerk because i was blocking the road i was like i'm so sorry and they're like oh you're good you're good but they didn't have chains that couldn't pull us out so eventually uh mark like squeezed his truck around mine and uh, drove to the check station got a chain from the game warden came back out there and pulled me out and uh and then we get to go in so now we're walking in at daylight and when i had i got stuck at like 4 30 in the morning and we didn't get out till like right at daylight so we walk in and uh we we're getting right to the spot where we left all of our stuff and i like i see this the, the stand up in the tree and i'm about to say oh there it is and i look to the right and there's a buck standing there and he sees us and turns off and runs. And Mark is like, meh, meh, meh. And this thing won't stop. So he gets away. We get up in this tree and it gets windy, like around 8.30 or 9. Like real windy. And it's like whipping us around. And there's just no way I could shoot a deer from it. So we get down out of that tree, do a little bit of still hunting, find a bunch of sign, eventually get like way back on like the corner of the public land. And... Um, we find a bunch of deer sign back there, a lot of tracks. We actually found some feed sign where they're eating water oak corns, and uh, found a bunch of fresh rubs. So I told Mark, I was like, he was uh, going out for lunch and then he was going to meet a, a girl who he was trying to get her first deer, um, or I think her first buck actually. I think she's killed a deer before. But uh, anyways, I was like, I'm just going to stay in here. I'm not going to go out for lunch. So I stay in there, and my feet are wet. So I take my boots off and take my socks off, and like put them up in a bush. And I sit up against this tree, and I'm like, I'm just gonna sit here for like an hour, and then I'm gonna get up one of these trees, and I'm just gonna ground hunt for right now. And I wasn't there for very long, and uh, I look up and I see a, just in time to see a buck jump down in the creek, like in a ditch right there. And so I like I grab my gun and I like crawl up to this tree. I'm like barefoot sitting out there in the woods. Crawl up to this tree and get rested up. And he pops up out of the creek, and uh he's got like a four-point side on his right. And it was actually a really nice side. I mean, it was a, it was a good antler, um, and he was like pretty wide. But his other side was like a, I think it was a spike. It maybe had two points on it. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to shoot this thing or not. And I, I get him to stop, but he stops behind a tree, and I don't really have a good shot. And you know, he he ends up getting away. Uh I I could have shot him if I wanted to after he came out from behind the tree but I don't know I didn't really want to um really whichever deer I kill next is going to be my last deer of the season so I didn't want to end my season on him so and then I get up the tree and long story short I just see like a bunch of does feeding around like three does or something like that uh and then I had to walk like 2 miles back to the truck and it was miserable but yeah that's, that was my hunting for the for the weekend man well, again, at least you're able to get out there. I mean, the cool thing is,
0: you know, our season is going to February 10th. So, you know, we still got some time left. I'm actually going to be able to this coming weekend, which is going to be fun, uh, trying to figure out where I want to go. Um, but, you know, that's that's good enough to think about. I'll tell you one thing, though, that I've been thinking about um, this late in the season is now kind of knowing some of these different management areas and public land tracks, at least in Alabama, and I think everybody can relate with this, you know, wherever you hunt, whether it's public or private, if you kind of have an idea when the rut is, I'm now thinking of like when next year, like what weeks would be best for calling? Like, you know, Adrian Farley talks about, you know, second scrapes start popping up and stuff, you know, a few weeks out before the rut actually kicks off is when he has the most success rattling. And I'm thinking like what times next year, like, do I want to like actually put on the calendar? Okay, this is the week to really, you know, focus on calling. And, and try to have some success because I've been thinking more and more about that, especially, you know, throughout different parts of the state, when the rut comes at different times of, you know, what time of the year, whether it's in November, December, early January to actually go out and actually rattle, whether you're hunting from the ground or from a tree and, and try to cause them deer. In, cause I think we'd have a lot of success, especially on little Iowa or whatever y'all calling it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I mean, uh, especially knowing what we know now, I'm excited because a lot of these spots that we've hunted are going to be really good next year. I mean, like we've talked about before, like, uh, like spots kind of quote unquote aging out, especially these thicker areas where, you know, the, maybe the, the younger trees grow up and they get a canopy and they shade out all the good cover. We got, we got a lot of spots on our list this year where that's not going to be the case for a, a good many years down the road. So I feel like we've got some established, really like reliable spots that we're going to be able to hunt for two, three, four years from now. Yep. Oh yeah. Which is always exciting. Um, I am trying to think what else,
0: what else has happened? Well, okay. Let's talk about this event. I think that's what people are probably waiting to hear.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you want to kick it off?
0: Well, I mean, you kind of, you're the one that freaking,
1: you've been talking to, you know, people about it. (laughs) That's true. What, Um, What do you know? So, we're trying to figure out, like, the legality of what we're trying to do, uh, because we want to, basically, we want to do some kind of event where uh, we're going to go out and, like, shoot bows with everyone and hang out, maybe do some kind of competition or something, I don't know, uh, and then basically just kind of hang out, grill out, and maybe record a live podcast, and just kind of like a kind of meet and greet thing with all y'all who can make it and i think it would be a lot of fun uh, it'd be like a it'd be a free event so we're not going to charge anything to come meet us because that would be weird um but yeah i mean that that pretty much about sums it up um i talked to the lady we're thinking about doing it in birmingham uh specifically oak mountain state park at their archery range and the lady pretty much said that we can do whatever we want um she's like yeah you can bring grills out there you can do this and that you just can't sell food or sell beer so i'm like okay so uh, this yeah. might be a byob event boys but uh i don't know we might might try and provide food of some sort maybe bring out a grill and cook up some deer meat well another thing i want to do there as well because a lot of guys have been asking is doing like a, a scouting workshop
0: whether we go out or not but at least maybe get some aerial photos and stuff, and maybe sit around and like anyone that's interested, maybe have it blown up or something, so people can kind of look at, you know, some of these different things we're talking about, and maybe how to read topo maps, and just do a couple different things that you know people are kind of interested in learning more about. Yeah, uh, I think would be kind of cool, actually. Uh, yeah, and um, bring it. Go ahead. Well, say and bring out some you know some guests from the show uh, to come out there and you know hang out as well.
1: Yeah. So. uh, me and Mark were talking about that all weekend, which Mark Turner, uh, he's a he's a grad student at Auburn University. Uh, he's a, basically a deer biologist, and uh, he also runs Huntland Podcast. Uh, and so he knows a lot about deer from like the science and research side of thing, which is like a very interesting thing to know about, uh, and it could be really useful for your hunting. And me and him were talking about this event all weekend long and kind of the scouting day, and at first we weren't sure if we wanted to do the scouting day or not, but we've got like a lot of requests for it. So, we were thinking about doing it at Oak Mountain State Park, but I don't know. It's like very, which some people might really like this, but it's like very uh, monotonous. Monotonous, just like overly mature hardwoods. A lot of it. Um, I mean, if we really scouted it, we could probably find something good. I know there's deer on it. There's a bunch of deer on it. Uh, they you actually, can hunt it. Yeah, let, yeah, people are allowed to bow hunt it. Um, but anyways, yeah. So we might could do it at Oak Mountain. Um, but I was actually thinking we might want to do it on Cahaba River Park, which is the same place that we did our map scouting video from, uh, late last summer. Uh, that place has got a little bit of everything. It's got your hardwoods, it's got your pine thickets, it's got like kind of glady type stuff. It's, uh, it is like a really good representation of what we talk about all the time on the show. So I don't know how we're going to do it yet. The bow shoot will probably start maybe around like two o'clock. Um, and I might just like tell people, hey, if you want to do the the whole scouting thing, maybe meet us wherever we decide to do it at like seven thirty or eight o'clock in the morning. We'll go do scouting for a couple hours. We'll maybe do some map stuff too, and then you know we can all go get lunch and then do the bow shoot and, and so on and so on. Yep. So, anyways, what's the next plan? Do what? What's the next
0: step? What are we doing?
1: Okay, so tomorrow we're going to, first of all, Jacob, you never answered me today. I asked Jacob when he could do it, and he's like, oh well, I have to look at my schedule, and then he never answered. So i got to figure out when you're free, but um, I think that we're going to try and pick like two or three weekends that we might possibly do it, and then we'll put a poll up on Facebook, and whichever one the most people could come to is the weekend that we'll do it. So that uh, we're going to try and get that poll up on the day that this drops, which would be Monday the, uh, what? Like the 28th or something. No, the 27th, Monday, the 27th. We're going to try and get that poll up out there.
0: All right, cool. Yeah. We'll have to, have to figure out some scheduling, but yeah, that, that'll be fun. Uh, cause there's a lot of guys, dude, there is no, there's people, um, friends of the podcast that want to come down from like other states like Kentucky, Arkansas, and like, I should come down for that. Um, which would be kind of crazy. And to be honest, if that's the case, dude. If there's enough people that want to come in from out of town, I mean, we almost could do like a two-day thing, like a Saturday get-together and then like Sunday go scout or whatever or vice versa so they can leave in time to get back, you know, be- get back home, you know, ready for work on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, that'll be awesome. Uh, other than that, dude, uh, that's pretty much all I've got. Uh, you know, talk about, you know, also do like a gear corner. There's going to be a lot of stuff kind of going on. Um, no matter how we schedule it, you know, guys can bring gear in. we'll actually do demos and stuff and let you try out a bunch of different products, especially with me having everything, um, <laughs> <feels like. laughs> uh, and I, oh, there's a lot of other guys that want to bring some gear out so everybody can kind of try different things, especially if there's products on the market you're wanting to test out before you actually purchase, we'll have pretty much anything you can imagine there. Um, so it'll be a freaking fun time. So I'm excited for it, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, so that's that's the main, like, so the when the bow shoot happens, like, people are going to be shooting bows, but then also there's going to be an area off to the side that's going to be, like, quote, unquote, the gear corner, and just to, like, as an example, if you come, you're going to get to see, of course, like, our saddles, which hopefully I'll have a phantom by then, um, you'll get to see a couple different brands of saddles, um, try them out, a couple different saddle platforms, a couple different kinds of sticks, uh, some that's nice backpacks, t-
0: I was going to say, a ton of climbing systems. A ton of climbing ton of systems,
1: climbing. yeah. Uh, you're going to get to see the those Kafaru backpacks we've been running. Um, what else, what else, what else? You'll get to see, uh, you'll get to mess with a bunch of different broadheads because we got a bunch of broadheads we could uh, bring out. And then also we're encouraging like all the guests that come uh, to bring their gear too. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm going to this event, think about like kind of your favorite gear, gear that people are interested in that you own and consider bringing that. Uh, just like we said, to kind of let people demo it, put their hands on it. Uh, I'm going to bring all my uh, Sitka and First Light camo I got so people can check that out. Because that's the kind of, really all this kind of gear that we're talking about isn't stuff that you can like walk into Bass Pro Shops and like check out, you know. So it's really helpful to be able to put hands on it before you drop money and wait for it to show up at your doorstep.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that'd
1: be super, super
0: helpful and awesome. I'm trying to. Dude, I'm on the fence of getting a 3D target or two, like mm-hmm. uh, from uh, like getting the uh, woodland elk from um, Reinhardt, and actually bringing it out there, because you can actually shoot broadheads at that, so not only would we have something else you can shoot at, but also we'll have something that someone that wants to shoot different arrow setups through their bow, uh, might be able to have that, and also might have a chronograph out there with this, depending on who we can have come out, so people can kind of, you know, see what their bows doing and also shoot different setups through it, so that'd be cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, it should be a fun time, so if anyone's got suggestions on that, make sure you shoot them our way on social media or email or or whatever, and we'll try and get it all worked out by Wednesday of this week Um, because the way that this is going to be, it's probably going to be late February or early March, which would be ideal because it would be before turkey season, Um, but it would be after deer season. So that way it's going to be kind of that nice between time where, you know, you're you're getting pumped up for turkeys, but you're coming fresh off deer season. Also, the woods are going to be still dormant at that time of year. So the woods are going to look like they will look in deer season. Uh, and also it's not gonna be as hot, so we can have a fire or something. Uh, or if like a date won't work out for that time period, then we'll do it after turkey season, which will be like mid to late May. Which would be fine, but the woods are going to be all leafed out and greened up, and uh, it's going to be hot. So <laughs> I'd rather do it earlier rather than later. But we'll figure that out by Wednesday, and hopefully have something put together by this Wednesday. Yep, awesome.
0: All right, perfect. Uh, only the last thing I got to say is, uh,
1: you know, we appreciate everybody's
0: support. You know, this is. You know, we I'll say this is a little shameless plug. You know, we do do a lot of stuff in the background to kind of make all this stuff work. One of the biggest ways y'all can we, we, y'all can show your appreciation is go drop us a review on iTunes or uh, Stitcher or however, wherever you listen to us at. Drop us a review on, you know, what you think about the show. Uh, you know, It helps us out. It's another way to give back to the show uh, since we try to do all this for free.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> yep, yeah. So, yeah, we'd appreciate that, fellas. Uh, Anyways, if you're still deer hunting, then um, good luck to you. Hope you kill a buck. If you're not deer hunting, then I hope you're squirrel hunting. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a, a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, we talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, All the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are gonna be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are gonna be there. It's just it's gonna be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all gonna be there and you you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're gonna get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out. exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.